Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'd like to thank you all for listening at the stop. Stop at the start. Please don't stop. Uh, let me just get the preamble spiel out of the way. Per usual, please like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend. That all helps tremendously. Ratings on uh, Apple Podcasts. Those help a lot, especially written reviews. So any way you can interact with the product, please do so. Uh, if you've done everything that you can, depending on the service you're using, please share. Tell somebody in your social circle in real life or on your social media platform of choice. Either way, I'm not especially picky about that. Give it a list. Give us a share. Would be much appreciated per usual. Alright, on the agenda this evening, UFC on ESPN plus 54. Oh, boy, do we gotta talk about that. Wait, I didn't... I don't think I introduced myself. If I did, I apologize for repetition. I'm a little bit sleep-deprived. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. Yeah, we'll be talking about UFC on ESPN plus 54, and... Yeah, I, I got stuff to say. There's stuff to say about that. Uh, this was actually a pretty big weekend for combat sports. There was a lot of stuff that happened. Uh, Saturday in particular was pretty darn busy. You had the UFC earlier in the day, in the middle of the UFC event. You had the main event for the Bellator card that took place in Moscow. And you had some boxing later in the evening. You had glory. Uh, it, was, it was a busy day, so we're going to do a little bit of a roundup. Then, finally... We can preview a UFC event that's actually worth watching. Uh, UFC 267 coming our way this Saturday from... They're back in Abu Dhabi. So, yeah, Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Two title fights. Well, one title fight, one interim title fight that realistically might as well be for the real thing. I'll get into that. Uh, what's the other fight on that card? One more that's worth mentioning. Ah, yeah, Dan Hooker and Islam Makhachev. I mean, we're going to go through the whole thing, but those are the top three. Those are darn good fights. Uh, so we'll go over that. It'll be what we have suffered. We, ladies and gentlemen, have suffered to get you because UFC 267 is the 30th. UFC 268 is the next Saturday. And those are both very, very good cards. There's any number of fights on these two events that could have been very good main events for the last couple of fight for like the three events that have preceded this one in October. Man, we had we suffered. You know what? Let's uh, we may as well start there for just a second or two here because I've got stuff to say about uh, the UFC and ESPN plus 54. So. Let's talk for a minute about how bad these last few events have been. Uh, I've been honest about this. Look, they've had some fights worth looking forward to, some not. But if we go back a little bit, like the month of October, the UFC was happy to point out that we've got stuff every week. That's true. Most of it sucked. Our first card, October 2nd, headlined by Johnny Walker and Tiago Santos. That was not an especially good card. Uh, also, the, the main card for that was uh, Kevin Holland versus Kyle Dawkins. That wound up being a no contest. 
Uh, Nico Price and Alex Oliveira was all right. Uh, just wasn't a very good card. And the main event wasn't especially great. Next, Duran versus Rodriguez. Or Rodriguez, rather. Marina Rodriguez and Mackenzie Duran. Yeah. Remember that? I remember that. I had to cover that. Uh, other note, fights of note on that card, Randy Brown and Jared Gooden was... I don't know. He couldn't miss weight for that. It wasn't even all that great. Um, Matthews Nicolau and Tim Elliott was not a bad fight. But not a whole lot else to talk about on that one. Then we had Aspen Ladd and Norma Dumont, and boy, what a... If you want my full thoughts on that, last week's podcast will give you them in detail. And then this week, Costa and Vittori. In a 14-fight card, most of which was... Most of which was not good. So, I bring that up for a pretty specific reason. Um... The main event for this card, Marvin Vittori and Paulo Acosta, originally scheduled to be at middleweight. You have two top five middleweight contenders, number two in Costa and number five in Vittori. Two men coming off of failed bids for the middleweight title. Costa was rather famously stopped in the second round, and Vittori went all five rounds but didn't win a single one of them, I seem to recall. I certainly could give him one. And they're just trying to maintain their place. Rebound from bad fights. From bad performances, not bad fights. I mean, Adesanya and Vittori wasn't exactly a barn burner, but I wouldn't call it bad. And we get to fight week. A couple of days after the after the podcast, I want to say it was, it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember which one. Paulo Costa publicly says... I'm like 211 pounds, I think it was, and I can't make 185, so hopefully we can uh, do a catchweight thing, because I can't I can't make middleweight, and, okay, so they settle on a, I, I have thoughts about that, but, so they settle on a catchweight of 195, with Costa, uh, with Vittori getting 20% of, of Costa's purse. That lasts for about a day, uh, maybe even less than 36 hours. Then, no, it's got to be light heavyweight, and both of them weigh 204. But, oh man, if this were if this were a real fight night, by which I mean one that had a decent supporting cast of fights, I. Uh, there's no way the UFC would have potentially... I shouldn't say there's no way. It's significantly less likely the UFC would have caved to this uh, this myriad of demands. They would have just... They would have just fired the guy. Uh, okay, that might be a bit of a stretch, but... They certainly would have removed this fight, and they would have just said, Sure! Next fight up is the main event. But there's no way they were going to main event this card with Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn. They're, they're just not. <laughs> so, Costa kind of got to have his way with that, and look, I'm going to say this. I don't know what went wrong with his prep. 
or in his weight cut. I, I genuinely don't. I'm. I would rather fighters do this than kill themselves cutting weight. And when I say kill themselves, I mean that closer to literally. It is certainly more desirable to come to a conclusion about weight classes as opposed to uh, damaging yourself severely to try and make weight when you can't. That's just that's not a good thing. So I'm okay. And it's not like Vittori, you know, cut all the way down to 185 and then found out no we're at light. Like no, he got to spare himself a weight cut too. And cutting weight sucks, especially. And these are two large men. Now they, uh, Vittori's made 185 every time he's attempted it, I believe. Certainly in the UFC. So it still, it still just sucks. So not cutting as much weight as I was, I'm certain, you know, kind of a welcome relief. But if you sign on the dotted line to fight at 185, and you show up to fight week at 211, give or take, like. Again, I'm willing to acknowledge that I don't know everything, and there may have been some very, very legitimate reasons that this happened. But boy, does that reek of unprofessionalism. And Dana was Dana White was pissed. Um, Costa, the fact that this fight turned out to be kind of as entertaining as it was might have saved Costa his job. And the UFC, I mean, Dana White said he's going to have to fight at light heavyweight for his next fight. Apparently, they're gonna, the management is going to try and wheedle that down out of Dana's hands. But if I'm Dana White, I make him fight at 205. Like, you can't do that. That's just... No. That You gave the, you gave the promotion a headache. You cost you... Look, you cost yourself 20% of your money... And given how little fighters are paid in general, uh, that's a which I another thing like that's a it's a big deal. Like that, just no. You really should not have done that. So yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, I don't even really know what to say. Here's the thing, and I, maybe this might spark this particular discussion again, but. I think it's pretty clear that fining fighters for missing weight is not the big deterrent that everyone thinks it should be. And given how little money MMA fighters make in general, that might not be the best way to go about this. Um, there have been some promotions in Brazil, and uh, Guilherme Cruz has reported on this. Now, this is preliminary and slightly smaller sample size, bear in mind. But some places have started experimenting with you miss weight, you lose a point. So you would have just started a point down for the for the fight. So you, round one, what are, I think it would just come off of round one then, I assume. I don't think it matters that much which round you take it from when you deduct a point from someone's total. But uh, you, you, would, you, you just start with a point loss. And... That might be a better way to go about it than just trying to find these poor guys. So, oh, just a thought. Uh, and when you do this, when you force someone to move up, not just weight classes, but like 20 pounds, um, yeah, I tend to think that's the kind of thing that should warrant a pretty significant penalty. Uh, 
Yeah, I... If you're the UFC, I, I think Dana White's correct. You make the guy take at least one fight at light heavyweight. And given how vindictive the UFC can be, you'd put him in there with a big guy. Not the cost is small, but you know you want to fight you you want to screw around with your weight on this particular issue. Here, fight someone who's fight, fight a giant at light heavyweight, and then let's you know, as you know some kind of twisted motivation. The UFC has certainly done things like that in the past. So I am mad. Then again, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Dana White flip flops either. He's done more than his share of that in the past too. Uh, and again, the other point. If this was a card that had a decent supporting cast, yeah, I already mentioned this, but there's no way this would have flown. But every decent fight for the month of October was basically packed into the 30th. So it was packed into UFC 267 or UFC 268, the first show in November. And, uh, you know, when you, when you thin out your product this much, when you dilute it, you wind up with a lot of really watered-down cards. And that gives the occasional bigger-name player who fights on them a lot more leverage, and the UFC does not like to be leveraged. Again, I, I don't object to Paulo Costa doing what's best for his health. But if his health is at a point where 185 is no longer all that reasonable a cut, well, then you just fight at light heavyweight. And you lament the lack of 195. Uh, you know, there's plenty, which happens. You know, there's plenty of guys who lament the lack of 165, which should be a division. I'm a little less sold on the necessity of 195, but I could be persuaded uh, if we went. You know, if you bump, you bump welterweight up to 175, then you have 150, uh, then you add 165, then you're at you know 125 up through you know 205, and then heavyweight just 205 and above. It, is fine for I don't know that anyone's I don't think there's much call for a you know cruiserweight 120 pound cap weight classic would that be cruiserweight I think cruiserweight usually comes above light heavyweight so sure for the sake of argument let's just call it cruiserweight uh again no one's really calling for that but you know could I be persuaded that 195 and you know, a 165 weight pound classes might be beneficial? Yeah, I probably could. I 165 in particular, we know the roster can handle that particular split. Uh, as for the fight itself, um, this was a decent kind of... I don't want to call it too sloppy, because I think that's a disservice to both guys, but... This was not a technical masterpiece. These They just kind of punched each other a lot. Uh, whoever was moving forward tended to be the one doing the lion's share of the winning. Uh, Vittoria had a good first round. Costa in the second round. He won the second round in my eyes, but he also uh, got a point deducted for an eye poke. Pretty sure it was an eye poke. Uh, yeah. So he only got that one 9-9, and then the only other round that I thought Costa won was the fifth. Uh, so final scores are 48-46 across the boards, uh, which was my scorecard as well. Uh, I was a little surprised Vittori didn't do more wrestling earlier. 
He was content to just kind of play southpaw to cost his orthodox, and they traded punches. I think Vittori's ability to manage the distance uh, took some of the sting out of Costa's blows on occasion. Costa's also, unless he's really going hard for the finish, he's not a volume guy. He's a couple at a time. Um, he was landing some really nasty body kicks. And, I mean, it's kind of a joke if you watch um, what Israel Adesanya did to Paulo Costa. But one of Costa's only weapons at legitimate range is that right kick. And the fact that he doesn't have anything else is partially what led to Adesanya just happily kind of uh, you know, styling all over him, for want of a better expression. Uh, neither of these guys showed tremendous cage craft. Uh, so, again, whoever was going forward was kind of the one that was winning. The other guy would just kind of put themselves on the fence without too much difficulty. Uh, Vittori just kept a higher pace. I mean, these two combined for the highest, um, I think the highest significant strike totals thrown in UFC light heavyweight history. Uh, I think Vittori set the single fighter record in cost of the set. Like, those two are now one and two for it, for most strikes thrown in a single fight at light heavyweight. Uh, they kept a good, they kept a pretty good pace. I do want to give them credit for that. Costa's gas tank is weird. In the following way. He starts out hot, then drops off, but when he drops off, he drops down a few levels, and then I don't think he really drops much more than that. He got pretty badly tired here. But between Vittori not... He, he won't say completely abandoning it, but he didn't go to the body the way that maybe you really should have considered against a uh, tiring fighter. And... So I, Costa just kind of deserves some credit in that particular respect for managing his gas tank once he hits, once he drops. I mean, everybody drops after the first round, very few exceptions. Um, sometimes people drop after, sometimes uh, you have a slower first round, not because your cardio isn't in place, but because you're, uh, you're making reads on your opponent. But uh, yeah, he, he dropped, but... He kind of rebounded a little bit towards the end of the fight. His cardio was um, a little bit like a U, if you imagine it on a graph. Starts out really high, dips, and then kind of rebounds at the end. Or, you know, if you want to use the graph, starts high, drops, but then kind of stays flat after that first drop. And, I mean, I thought he was dead tired in the third. He looked dead tired in the third, but he just kept on chugging. So, and that deserves credit. You know, these two guys fought at a clip. They fought at a pretty high clip, and other people would have melted. And Costa didn't melt, so kudos. Uh, Vittori got rocked pretty badly, and it was the second he got caught with a head kick, but he just ate it. You know, the man has a chin of granite. Uh, he ate some serious shots here. But ultimately, Vittori just kept a high enough pace, won enough rounds, got the win. Uh, you know, good for him, I suppose. Um, I think under normal circumstances, this might have been fight of the night. I was surprised. It didn't get fight of the night. That went to a fight earlier on. But they gave Vittori a performance of the night bonus for this one. And since Costa... There, I can't say the guy missed weight because they agreed to fight it like heavyweight, but there's no way the UFC were going to bonus that guy. So, 
they didn't get so they didn't give this fight of the night, uh, which it probably was. But then again, you know, the one they gave it to might have just been more towards Dana White's personal taste, which is all that distinction comes down to. Let's be honest about that. So, Vittori, if you consider this to be a win more relevant to middleweight than light heavyweight, as most people will. He's still, I don't think he's next. And he said after the fact, even, you know, I'm not chasing the belt right away. I just want to keep fighting the best guys, which is the right mentality, af- especially after you lost that badly the last time you fought for the belt. You know, you're not going to get an immediate rematch. There's, uh, there's guys coming up still that are ahead of you in line. So, accepting that you're just going to have to fight through a few more really tough opponents and then maybe get back to it. Uh, it, it's a good headspace to be in in his particular position. So I expect him well, again. I expect Costa to have to fight at light heavyweight at least once. So we'll see how he does up there. Uh, as for Vittori, uh, I don't know. He's fought a lot of guys at middleweight. I mean, uh, that's one of the things about his position. He's fought plenty of, not all of them obviously, but he's fought a lot of the top guys. So, with Whitaker and Adesanya set for at some point early next year, uh, I think Cannoneer has a fight coming up. Aren't Cannoneer and Brunson fighting? I think that's... I want to say that's a fight, but I could be mistaken. Let me have a quick look. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, they're set to fight in January of 22. Uh, confirm that. I think, that, oh, they're supposed to be at 270? Yeah, they're supposed to fight at 270, okay. He could fight the win. um, Okay. I don't think he can fight the winner of that. I think the winner of that probably fights for the belt. At, fights the winner of Adesanya and Whitaker. Uh, especially if it's Cannoneer. Uh, I mean, I hate to say that because, you know, Brunson has earned his way back to that particular uh, top of the mountain. He's on a good winning streak. And he's beaten, uh, beaten a couple of quality guys along the way. So, the only question there is, is is Adesanya, who, you know, knocked out, <laughs> knocked Brunson out in the first round of their of their fight. But the guy wins six in a row beating the guys he's beaten. He'll probably get a rematch. And I would pretty heavily favor Izzy to beat him again. Uh, Adesanya ex- uh, has expressed interest in fighting Jared Cannonier in the past, and then Cannonier went lost to Robert Whitaker. So, he... You might get Vittori versus the loser of that fight. Uh, if not that... Let's see. He's beaten Jack Hermanson. Um, Sean Strickland was... He was supposed to fight Luke Rockhold. Who is he fighting now? Uh, because he's... Because Rockhold had to pull out of that. Um, but I think... I think someone. I think someone stepped in. That's for 268. 
see if they've announced that. I think they did. No, they haven't announced the they haven't announced a replacement for that yet. Um, assuming there's a replacement and assuming Sean Strickland wins, Strickland and Vittori could be something. Look a lot like this in some respects, but Strickland throws a lot more volume than Costa does, and I think we'd see a lot more wrestling out of Vittori in that fight, but uh, who knows. Uh, if they if they can't find a replacement for Strickland, maybe they just make the fight. At, I mean, I don't think Vittori should fight at UFC 260. I want to be clear about that. That's too close to this fight. But, you know, you could maybe bump that a little bit and then uh, get... Then maybe just do Strickland and Vittori. And that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Again, they're they're gonna try and I think they're gonna try and keep Strickland on that card. So we'll see if anyone steps up to fight him on short notice. But that's a that's definitely a possibility. So it's not like there's no fights for the guy. But he's fought a lot of the he's fought a fair number of people on his way up too. So. Well, we're going to have to wait and see how the next couple of events play out to gain a little bit of clarity at middleweight, so... But, uh, I think Vittori very much held his place, if nothing else. He's still going to be a problem for upper-rank middleweights. Uh, those guys I would favor to beat him... If he got a rematch with Adesanya, I'd favor Adesanya. I'd favor Whitaker to beat him. Um, but, you know... Outside of that, I think he gives a lot of guys, if nothing else, he gives you a tough fight. So, Anyway, that was your main event. I'm going to go fairly quickly through the rest of this. Um, Grant, your co-main event, Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn went to a majority draw. 129-28 for Dawson and then two 28-28s. Uh, I was 28-28. Dawson wins the first two rounds, but Glenn then, this was close. But I thought Glenn did enough to warrant the 10-8 in the third. Dawson's a very good wrestler. Uh, I think the problem is he's not great about managing his energy. He kind of fell apart in the third round here. I mean, he started pulling half guard. Like, you need a plan B against someone like Ricky Glenn. Ricky Glenn's a veteran. He's been there, done that, got the t-shirt, man. He's... Been everywhere. He's fought everywhere. He's fought a lot of tough guys. You, you, he's not unbeatable, but if your game plan is I'm just gonna take you down, and then be the better grappler, you you better understand that you're in for a long night. You can get him down, and you can out wrestle him, but finishing him is very very hard, and you better be ready to do that at a decent clip with. Good re facing resistance for 15 minutes. How many times has he been finished? Uh, okay, once very early in his career. And then once when he fought Lance Palmer in the World Series of Fighting. When he lost the featherweight title. He beat... You know, when he beat Georgi Karakanyan, that was a pretty big deal. So, he, this is a guy who's only been finished twice in his career. I mean, again, not saying you can't try to finish the guy. You can, but you better have a plan B. Uh, you, you really do. And Dawson didn't. 
Once those takedowns started failing him in the third, he didn't have any. He didn't have a plan B. Uh, I give I give Dawson a lot of credit in the sense that other people who have gassed in similar fashion against Glenn in that position have been finished. Uh, so Dawson maintaining enough of himself to not be to not completely lose the fight. Uh, yeah, deserves credit, and I hope he takes the appropriate lesson from this. You know, I mentioned before this was a this was a bit of a stiff test for him. It was designed to be such, and he got a draw out of it. So hopefully he takes the appropriate lessons and makes the appropriate adjustments. Uh, you know, Glenn, tons of credit. Plenty of people have would have melted in the first round. He stayed composed. He stayed active. He stayed. You know, Stayed in the fight and salvaged, you know, this very easily could have been a loss. In fact, for a lot of people, it would have been. A lot of people against Dawson in that third round, they would have won the round, but they wouldn't have done what was necessary to warrant the 10-8 and force the draw. So, Rick Glenn, still no one to trifle with. Uh, let's see. Jessica Rose Clark defeated Jocelyn Edwards via unanimous decision. 230 29-28. A lot of lay and pray from Clark here. Um, her takedown game has improved uh, a lot, and that that deserves a ton of credit. I think she's still kind of figuring out how she wants to marry takedowns with top control and passing and ground and pound and finding the right balance. Here she just favored... A lot of control instead of a lot of damage. And, look, figuring out the equation in that particular sense is a difficult process. She didn't quite find it here. She still won and was coming off of an almost two-year layoff, so I'm not going to throw too many insults. This was a very boring fight. I'm going to call it like it is in that respect. But... I also kind of expect she'll be she'll find a bit more uh, space for offense in her next fight. Uh, then again, maybe not. Who knows? We'll find out. But that's kind of my expectation at the moment. Uh, Alex Caceres defeated Sung Woo Choi via rear naked choke, 331 of the second. Uh, a lot of up and coming guys take fighting some uh, some. Stiffer competition here and falling a little bit short. You know, Dawson not being able to hold it together against Glenn. Here we have Choi falling against Alex Caceres. Caceres is a weird case study. I looked at this. He's been in the UFC for over 10 years. And it's rare to find that kind of longevity. Here's the flips, here's the other side of that particular coin. I'm going to read off in a minute all of his UFC wins during his ten, year, uh, his 10 years here in the UFC. There was a time when he was the worst fighter in the UFC. I feel pretty confident about that. That hasn't been true for a while, but there was a period of time when it was. Now, I want you to, if you can, off the top of your head, tell me the best person that Alex Caceres has beaten. And... I'm going to be a little bit surprised if you can remember almost any of his wins. And 
So, for the record, let's just start at the beginning. He starts his UFC career with two losses. So, the following are just his wins from 2011. His first UFC win came in November of 2011, so almost exactly 10 years. Uh, so, his only wins for the duration of his UFC career. They are as follows. Cole Escovito, Damasio Page, Montanobu Tezuka, Roland Delorme, Sergio Pettis, Masio Fuen, Cole Miller, Rolando D, Martin Bravo, Steven Peterson, Chase Hooper, Austin Springer, Kevin Kroom, and Sung Woo Choi. Now, probably the best win out of that group is Sergio Pettis. That came back in 2014. Um, and frankly, if they fought again today, I would probably favor Pettis. But, you know, some wins age better than others. This is a guy who has spent 10 years in the premier mixed martial arts organization doing uh, a combination of weeding and enhancement jobs. Uh, I, I mean... Not everyone he loses to is great. He has some losses on his record that are not. He lost his UFC debut to Mack and Semizer. He then lost to Jimmy Hedis. Neither of those gentlemen lasted long in the UFC. He lost to Uriah Faber. Fair play. He lost to Masanori Katahara, who left the UFC not all that long ago, I seem to recall. Double check Katahara. Yeah, he got cut. Uh, gee, back in 16? Why did I think he was fighting more recently than that? Eh. Uh, whatever. So, Kanahara. Uh, he, it was Kanahara's only win in the UFC. Uh, so, one of those not so great losses. Francisco Rivera. Rivera knocked him out. Uh, Yair Rodriguez, who the UFC keeps trying to make a thing. Jason Knight, who's no longer with the UFC and is now doing the bare-knuckle thing. Um, uh, Wong Wan, lost a split decision to him. Don't even know what happened to that guy. I don't think he's in the UFC anymore. And then his most recent loss was to Crow and Gracie, where he was submitted in short order in the first round. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, this guy is like... Um, I'm going to make a pro wrestling comparison here. Uh, and I, I don't know that you're going to think of it all that kindly, but hang, hear me out for a sec. Uh, Hardcore Holly, Bob Holly, was with the WWE for a stupidly long period of time. Uh, in fact, let me have a look. Just so I can... Be specific about this. Um, he signed with the WWE in 1990. No, that was uh, 91. Sorry, 91. My apologies. Yeah, at the at the time it was the World Wrestling Federation. He stayed with them from 1991 through uh, 2009. He was there for 15 years and 
had one cup of coffee with the United with the Intercontinental title. They made some hay out of him break essentially breaking his neck when he sandbagged a Brock Lesnar powerbomb. This was not a guy that featured prominently on the program, but was just a guy that was good to have around for a really long period of time. And that's kind of what Caceres has turned into. He's not ranked. I don't think he's ever going to be ranked again. He's got a good winning streak going right now, but I just read you all of those names, that the people that he's beaten. Uh... I don't know that Peterson's even with the UFC anymore. I mean, he probably is. The UFC's not really in a position where they do that. Yeah, he's got a fight scheduled. But, you know, he's he's beating guys with, you know, three-ish fights in the UFC. Less than eight. Uh, he's not really here to be a contender. He's not really here to be... He's not even a high-level gatekeeper. He's just kind of like a... Get off of the... Get off of these miserable fight night pre <laughs> cards kind of gatekeeper. And to his credit, he's turned back a lot of guys. And he's found some wins. He's on a good enough winning streak. Again, you match him with... Uh, anybody decent at featherweight... I mean, who's, who's the number 15 guy at featherweight right now, according to the UFC? Ilya Taporia is the number 15 featherweight contender, according to the UFC. Taporia would beat the crap out of Alex Caceres. Say nothing of anyone else ranked above him. Like, he's, he's not ranked contender material. But he shows up, and he's a good enough low-level gatekeeper, and... He's carved a decent career for himself doing that, so I'm no good on him, I guess. Uh, continuing that trend, Francisco Trinaldo defeated Dwight Grant via split decision. It was 129-27 for Grant and the 229-27s for Trinaldo. There was a uh, Trinaldo was deducted one point in the third round for an eye poke, leading to the weird scores. I scored it for Trinaldo. Um, Grant just. A lot of backing up, which Trinaldo makes easy by, by doing a lot of forward pressure. Trinaldo also a woeful cage cutter. But Grant not doing a whole lot with it. Just uh, a lot of single shots and not a lot of activity. And Trinaldo, if you want to kickbox with him at that pace, he's probably going to beat you. And kicking off the main card, Nikolai Negumerianu defeated Ike Villanueva via TKO. Punches at 118 of the first. Um, decent, short little sloppy scrap between these two. Uh, Villanueva just got clubbed down and then finished. It, it existed. As for the prelims, your fight of the night was Gregory Rodriguez defeating Jun Young Park via knockout at 313 of the second. Uh, for as long as this lasted, these two kind of went at it. We got a good little slugfest out of those two. Uh, Park looked like he was turning it around in the second, had Rodriguez against the fence, was banging on him. Rodriguez backed him off, backed him all the way to the other end of the fence, hit him with an uppercut. Uh, fun little fight. 
Lightweight, Mason Jones defeated David Onama via unanimous decision. 29-20 across the boards. Eh, alright. Um, th this was an alright fight. Onama was stepping in on very short notice. He's the first Ugandan fighter to fight in the UFC for people keeping track of that stuff. Um, yeah, Jones finally gets a UFC win. He was supposed to have a rematch with Alain Patrick. Uh, those two fought to a no contest not that long ago. Um, the rematch was booked because Mason Jones was beating the crap out of Patrick and then poked him in the eye. And Patrick said he couldn't continue. So they decided the immediate rematch. Then Patrick fell out with... Uh, I don't. We don't know why. It says he withdrew. I don't think we have a specific reason. Um... You know, Jones finally getting the first UFC win, so good for him. Women's strawweight, Tabitha Ricci defeated uh, Maria de Oliveira Neta. I think she went by Maria Oliveira. 30-27 uh, across the boards. Ricci needs some wrestling badly. Uh, when she gets on the ground, her passing game is pretty good. She's got decent control. I think she's more known as a jiu-jitsu player, so makes sense. But... Her entries are not great. She just swings an overhand right. Once she got a... Her single leg was okay once she kind of got a hold of Oliveira, but uh, she needs some work. That said, what looked good did look good, so I don't want to completely trash her. So, uh, But needs some work. Needs a lot of refinement. At middleweight, Jamie Pickett defeated Loriano Staropoli, the unanimous decision, 230-27, 29-28. Uh, this fight was largely uninteresting. A lot of clinching. At lightweight, Jai Herbert defeated Kama Worthy via TKO. Punches, 247 to the first. Uh, Herbert getting the first UFC win. These two went at it for as long as it lasted. Uh, decent enough little fight. Flyweight, Jeff Molina defeated Daniel. He's listed here as uh, Daniel Lacerda. I think he went by De Silva uh, for the UFC's purposes. Either way. Uh, TKO, 46 seconds of the second round. Uh, De Silva came out hot, but the more Molina kind of got into his rhythm and timing, the more he was able to counter him. Second round, uh, De Silva throws a body kick. Molina times a counter right hand, drops him, jumps on top, pounds him out. I'm not calling Jeff Molina a future champion just yet, but pay attention to that guy at flyweight. Uh, he is... There is something there. So, uh, women's strawweight. Random Marcos defeated uh, Livia Hanata Souza via unanimous decision. 230-27, Marcos fought like a woman with her job on the line because it probably was. This is the most active I've seen her uh, in a fight in a long time. She went after it. Uh, was a bit more active when they were clinching. More diligent about her ground and pound. So I. Want to give her some credit for that. Um, Sosa kept... She had one decent head and arm throw in the first. And then uh, Marcus was able to scramble through it. When she went back to it in the third, I think she just was basically giving up her back at that point. Uh, so, a job saver probably for Marcos. And kicking off the main card, Jonathan Martinez defeated Zvad uh, Lavishvili. The unanimous decision, 130-27 to 28 Lavishvili was undefeated coming into this. He took this fight on really short notice. Uh, like three days. 
So I'm not going to hold this one too much against him. I think with a full camp, he'll probably be better prepared and deliver a better performance. But Jonathan Martinez is kind of quietly amassing a decent record at bantamweight. Um, He's had some losses in the UFC, and that's certainly not to be ignored. But he's, what, 6-3 now? 5-3? Hang on. Yeah, 5-3 overall. With some decent wins, so... I mean, the guys who, let's see, Andre Sukumtot beat him. I don't think Sukumtot at the UFC anymore. Lost a close split decision to Andre Ewell, and then he was he was knocked out by David Grant. But Grant's a very legitimate prospect at bantamweight. Martinez has turned in. He's he's coming around. You know, uh, if he's able to string some decent wins together, he might be someone to pay attention to. So anyway, that was it. UFC and ESPN plus 54, 14 fights. Uh, and, man, just a lot of them, a lot of them fell really flat. So for whatever value you want to give these, um, the UFC values them at $50,000. Fight of the night, as mentioned, uh, Rodriguez and Park. Performances of the night, one for Marvin Vittori, one for Alex Caceres. For being just such a good company man, I suppose. All right, uh, let's do a quick little bit of roundup here from the rest of the combat sports world for the weekend. Uh, let's do Bellator first. Bellator took, had an event that took place in Moscow, the main event. The last emperor, Fedor Emelianenko, knocks out Timothy Johnson in a little under two minutes. Um, look, I feel good when Fedor wins. I, I'm never going to say that the man's top of the... He's nowhere near championship caliber at this point, but... If you never saw Fedor when he was the man, and make no mistake about it, for a long time, he was the man at heavyweight. If you came in after that, after his time as the, as the best heavyweight in the world, uh, go back and rewatch what he did in Pride. If you can find some of his rings fights, too. He was the man. And he's a shell of what he used to be now. But... Seeing him, you know, get another win, yeah, it just it made me happy. Uh, Vitaly Minikov returned on that card. I think he won a crappy decision. Um, let me find the full result. I didn't get to watch all of that card. Uh, I'm gonna watch a few of the fights. So it was Bellator 269. Oh no, Minikov got injured in the third round. Huh. I think the... Oh, the other one from this card that I looked up, uh, Usman Nurmagomedov, uh, one of Khabib's cousins, uh, easily ran over Patrick... I'm going to butcher this gentleman's name. Um, Patila? I apologize, sir. Um, Yeah. Usman Nurmagomedov just wrecked him. Uh, Anything else from that card that's worth talking about? No, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, not really. But, as I said, I will feel... Watching Fedor win makes me feel good. So, I don't expect him to be around all that much longer, and seeing him get a get a knockout, uh, again, feel-good moment. Especially for someone who's been around as long as I have. Uh, let's see what else went. Um, oh, may as well talk about this. 
if you're into kickboxing at all, and if you're not, at least look up this fight. Glory Heavyweight Champion Rico Verhoeven and Jamal Ben Sadiq had their trilogy fight. It ends in the fourth round uh, with a stoppage in favor of Verhoeven, but boy did he have to work to get there. Uh, Sadiq was able to crack him the right hand repeatedly. Uh, Rico's left eye cut under it and cut under the left eye and badly swollen. Uh, could have been a fight stopper, to be quite candid. Um, they those two had a they had a fight, man. They had a heck of a fight, so uh, Rico remains the heavyweight king, but had a, again, just a, uh, that one of the better kickboxing fights of the year for glory. Uh, this was pointed out, I think I heard Jack Slack pointed out, and I think it's true. Um, one, right now, one championship, is more a kickboxing promotion masquerading as an MMA promotion. They don't have a lot of great MMA fighters. They have some. But if you look at like the middle divisions of kickboxing, this is somewhat relevant because last week, two weeks ago, recently, either way, um, I think it was Giorgio Petrosian who got knocked out via head kick and his jaw was broken. Uh, one has a again not the super lightweight guys and not the top, not the heavier guys. I think Glory has kind of the has both of those. But anybody kind of in the middle there. Uh, in, the, in the middle weight classes for kickboxing, one has a lot of them. So, again, you know, if you happen to care about the kickboxing world, and e even if you don't, watch Verhoeven and uh, and Sadiq for the third time. That was, was a pretty darn good fight. Uh, and I think the last thing I want to touch on here in the world of boxing, Shakur Stevenson moved up to 130 pounds and beat Jamel Herring via TKO... Oh, how late did that go? I want to say ninth round. Um, uh, quick check. Tenth, sorry. Yeah, I knew they didn't get into the championship round in boxing. That's 11 and 12. But it was late. Uh, decent enough stoppage. Uh... It was a fine enough fight. Shakur Stevenson has fast hands, good power, very, very, very good defensive defensively. Uh, he slowed down a bit as this fight wore on, not tremendously, but he stopped moving as much as he was earlier. Uh, I don't know if this was purely an energy thing or just a stylistic choice. But when Herring found some success, it was pushing this fight into the clinch, into the infighting position, kind of making it uglier. But Stevenson acquitted himself well there as well. So, uh, yeah, this was he was moving up from 126, which is featherweight in boxing, to 130. Uh, a lot of the money fights for these guys are going to be in for boxing as far as the lower weight classes are. You know, 135 lightweight is usually got some good money fights. Uh, some guys you know, maybe more in the 140-ish range. I know Teofimo Lopez is planning on moving up to 140, I believe, after he, after another fight or two at 135. And if Shakur Stevenson wants to fight some of these other guys around that same weight, around that same weight class, you know, uh, Devin Haney's right around there. Uh, 
guys. I want to say Terrence Crawford. I want to say Terrence Bud Crawford. Uh, Errol Spence Jr. These guys are all. They're not all right next to each other in terms of weight, but they're all kind of close enough to play around. And I think Stevenson wants to be kind of, not yet, but soon. I mean, the guy's only 24, so he's got plenty of time. But he's, if he wants to be in that same space, you know, he couldn't stay at 125. Uh, and I tend to think a lot of people are vacating 125 anyway because they're worried about Naoya Inouye potentially looking at 125 and going, you know what, why not give it a shot? Because uh, I think Inouye... Yes, I think Inouye's fought at 125. I know he does more of his work around 120, though. Uh, I think he started at 118. Might even started lower than bantamweight. Uh, anyway, neither here nor there. So, Stevenson looked pretty good. Captured a world title at uh, 130. Curious to see where he goes. Young, a lot of potential there. So, someone to pay attention to if you weren't already in the world of boxing. Let's see. I think that's all from the kind of roundup section. So let's move on to what I expect will take up uh, a chunk of time. UFC 267 this Saturday. The UFC is back in Abu Dhabi. Uh, as a reminder to all of you who wish to watch the card... It will. The prelims start, I believe, at 10:30 a.m. Eastern time. This is uh, an early show here. It is prime time in the Middle East, or Western Asia, if you prefer. So it's free if you have ESPN Plus and are uh, and are in the United States. So it's a numbered event. Just uh, not having to pay for it. <laughs> Those of us that have ESPN Plus, at least. All right. Yeah, we have suffered for this card, people. We have suffered. These last few events have been not good. And some of the fights on here could have easily either been main events or at least padded out some of those other cards. But your main event, for the light heavyweight championship, Jan Blahovich will defend his title against Glover Teixeira. This might be the oldest title fight in UFC history. I'm not sure about that, but I'd have... Uh, but Blahovich is 38. And Teixeira is 41. So a combined age of 79. Uh, oh, sorry. No, Glover will be 42 by the time this happens. His birthday is October 28th. So 80. A combined 80 years old. These two gentlemen, when they step in to fight for the UFC light heavyweight title, I off the top of my head, I'm calling this the oldest title fight in UFC history. I might be mistaken, but I'm hard pressed off the top of my head to come up with another contender to that. Um, maybe to maybe Randy Couture and Tim Sylvia. That's a double check. Old Sylvia was at that point in time, but I don't. I I'm fairly sure this is the oldest. Uh, I, I'm I will double check that, but 
Like I said, off the top of my head. Uh, how do I see this fight going? Hmm. My inclination is to pick Blahovich. Glover Teixeira's striking isn't quite as uh, samey as it used to be. When he, when he first, his first run in the UFC up to the title, to his title shot against John Jones, his combination was always the same. It was right hand followed by a left hook. Didn't even set it up with a jab. It was just right, left hook, right, left hook. He threw that thing like four times at Ryan Bader and eventually caught him and knocked him out with it. But it was always the same combination. It's not quite that samey now, but it's still not... He's still not a diverse striker. He's got decent power. Uh, where he's been doing his best work lately has been on the ground. He's He is very heavy on top. He's got a good passing game, and his control, if he gets you there, is quite good. Uh, Blahovich, I think, hits harder. He's the he's the more diverse striker. I tend to think he's technically better, but uh, that's a little bit more iffy. Uh, Blahovich is no slouch on the ground himself, but like. I mean, look, it's light heavyweight, and the same is true of heavyweight. With incredibly rare exceptions, the guy on top is the one winning. It's not a whole lot more complicated than that. You don't see a lot of great guard play and great sweepers in these weight classes anymore. Uh, again, it's not that they don't exist at all, but you, they're rare. So if this goes to the ground, it's largely going to be about who gets top position more than anything else. My inclination is Blahovich. I'm not going to be shocked if Teixeira wins. I mean, it's light heavyweight. I don't care. I, this division is it's, a, it's dead to me. And I've my fandom has been more pleasant since deciding that I don't care about light heavyweight for whatever that's worth. Uh, yeah, I, I favor Blahovich probably via stoppage. Um, I give Teixeira credit for being... Uh, Fairly durable. I mean, again, the man's an old war horse who just keeps chugging along. But he's been hurt. Uh, he's been hurt pretty badly at times. Uh, I mean, Thiago Santos rocked him pretty badly in their fight. Uh, I don't think Smith. Smith might have hurt him briefly. That's a double check. Honestly, um, thought Nikita Krylov beat him. So. Uh, like I said, I respect Glover Teixeira. We'll probably get a watchable fight out of this, but I I favor Blahovich. Uh, Co-main event. I'm going to make a fairly bold claim here. This is the fight we should have gotten. Piotr Jan will fight Corey Sandhagen for the interim bantamweight title. This was supposed to be Jan and Sterling in a rematch for the bantamweight title, which Sterling won from Jan... Over a year ago at this point. When did they fight? Sorry, not over a year. They made it 259. So early this year. Yeah, back in March. Uh, where Sterling won the title via disqualification after Jan kneed him in the head in the fourth round and was on the ground. I've talked about that situation at length. Um, in this instance, Sterling had to withdraw. He's still having issues with his neck. Uh, and look, man. Take the time, heal your neck. Your long-term quality of life is significantly more important. 
I wouldn't cry if the UFC stripped him of the title, but silly. I say this is the fight we maybe should have gotten because if you watched Jan versus Sterling, Jan was on his way to winning that fight. It was Jan's own boneheaded decision that cost him that fight. Period. But if you again, who was the better fighter? Jan. And I thought Sandhagen beat TJ Dillashaw. I scored that fight for him. No ifs, ands, or buts. So, uh, so this is. So I think we sort of by accident arrived at the position that we were going. We should have anyway with Yon and Sandhagen fighting for the belt. Um, this is a heck of a fight. I think this is the best fight on the card. Whether it turns out to be that way in practice, we'll have to see. But this is a great fight. Sandhagen, very mobile, long guy, very scrambly base when it comes to the grappling. Jan is the be- Jan's the better technician of the two when it comes to the striking. We'll fight out of either stance. Jan accelerates his pace as the fight goes on, uh, which is scary. It has led to him beating down and breaking many an opponent. Sandhagen looked he looked okay going all five with TJ Dillashaw. I think the only counter-argument here is that Dillashaw... Well, Dillashaw kept a decent pace. He also spent a lot of time trying to clinch and ultimately was able to sneak out a win via a lot of wall installed some knees thrown in. Uh, Jan keeps a higher pace throughout the, the duration of all five rounds. So we'll see how his cardio holds up under a slightly more rigorous testing in that respect. I... I'm going to say the same thing I've said about the previous fight. I have a, I have the guy I lean towards. I lean towards Piotr Jan. I think he's the best bantamweight in the world. The best, however, lose on occasion. And I will not be surprised if Corey Sandhagen finds a way to pull it off. He's, uh, he's explosive enough. He's a little bit wild. A little bit wild enough to... You know, you can't go... Piotr Jan is not the kind of guy you go technique for technique with. Jose Aldo tried it, and Jose Aldo is an all-time great technician, and Jose Aldo couldn't do it. Not sustainably over a five-round fight. You have to add in a little bit of the unpredictability, and Sandhagen has that. Um, My inclination? I lean Jan. But that's a great fight, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Also a great fight that I'm very much looking forward to. At lightweight, Islam Makashev fights Dan Hooker. Um, this was supposed to be Makashev and... I think it was RDA. Yeah, they've tried to make Dos Anjos and Makashev several times. Um, stop trying to make that fight. Please. Guys, no one cares. No one should want to watch Rafael Dos Anjos against another fence wrestler. Ever. We know how that fight goes. Stop. Put Dos Anjos in there against guys that are that will provide more a more entertaining fight. I don't need to see him in Makashev. I just don't. Um, my instinct here is Makashev. Uh, look, I give Hooker a world of credit for taking this fight. He fought against... Um, he fight recently was because it was very recent he fought like uh, was it Bilal Muhammad Nasrud Haq Parast and Muhammad 
How much is a welterweight? Pretty sure. Uh, yeah, he fought Nazareth Hakprost. What a unanimous decision. Short turnaround. Now he's fighting Islam Makashev. If Makashev gets sloppy with his entries, Hooker will time him. Hooker will push a good pace. Hooker's also not going to let him do some of the stuff that he normally does. Not to say that Makashev can't still make it work, but he's not going to let him do it. One of the biggest things about Makashev is how little he gets hit. That man absorbs less than one significant strike per minute. That's a, that is a ridiculous number uh, for anybody. Uh, he's a you know, Makashev is a better striker than Khabib in the term in purely terms of his technique. There's a real argument to be had about whether or not Khabib's striking was better in the sense that Khabib's striking existed to set up his grappling. And Makashev, whereas Makashev's striking is kind of good on its own terms. You know, Khabib was never going to win a boxing match with pretty much anyone who knows how to box. Uh, whereas, you know, Makashev has a little bit more striking just for the sake of striking built into his game. Uh, on the ground, and this is somewhat counterbalanced by on the ground, Makashev's a bit more control-oriented than Khabib was. Not quite as busy with his ground and pound. I, I mean, look, let me be clear. That's me comparing him to maybe the best guy in that area ever. So it's not like being underneath this guy is a treat. But he's a bit more about control and setup than Khabib was. Khabib was happy to take a slightly less advantageous control position to deal damage. That's not quite Makashev's, uh, I don't know, ethos. That's not quite what he does. So, I lean towards Makashev here. I think he's, uh, I think he's one of the best lightweights in the world. But so is Dan Hooker. I just think this is a bad stylistic matchup for Hooker. But we are going to find out. Uh, I look forward to this fight. This fight could have... Again, this is another one that could have easily been a main event for a fight night, and we all would have been happy. Uh, next up, Alexander Volkov will fight Marcin Tabora. Lean Volkov, but eh, it's crappy heavyweights. I mean, they're ranked heavyweights, so I shouldn't dismiss them as completely crappy, but... Eh. Uh, let's see. Welterweight. Li Jing Liang will welcome back Hamzat Shemaev. Uh, Shemaev off... Uh, returning after some pretty serious bouts with COVID. Um, what's the leech done lately? He beats he beat Santiago Ponzinibbio back in January of this year. Only fought once in 2020. Well, he only fought once in 19, once in 2020. He'll get twice in 2021, but. Uh, I mean, look, I'll give him a bit of a pass on not fighting much in 2020 because, well, pandemic. But uh, he's 33. I mean, and that's not old, but at welterweight, you know, you want to, you don't have too much longer before you're kind of where you're going to be and things start going down. Uh, whereas, you know, Shemaev is the guy everyone's talking about for a variety of reasons. 
he's been out for over a year. Again, the, the, he had a really nasty bout with COVID. Um, he was supposed to fight Leon Edwards. Would have been a heck of a step up for him. This seems more appropriate. I lean towards Shemaev. He's got good power, uh, good wrestling, and he's a relentless ground and pound guy. He, his, his uh, mentality, his his uh, decision making, his tactics around grappling are more like Khabib's than Makashev's are. So, not going to be shocked if Lee Jing Leong does it because he's a pretty darn good fighter. But uh, I'll lean Shemaev. And kicking off the main card, we have more light heavyweight nonsense when Magomed Ankalaev fights Volkan Uzdemir. I joke about the light heavyweight division. This is a relevant fight. Uh, Magomed Ankalaev has one loss. His UFC debut. He was beating the crap out of Paul Craig and caught in a triangle choke at the literal last second of the last round and tapped out. If he'd held on, he would have won that decision walking away. But he's undefeated since then. He's 15-1 overall. Uh, that man wasted all of 2020 fighting Iwan Kutalaba twice. Ugh. Wasted a year of that man's career. Uh, whereas Uzdemir recently, he was knocked up by Yuri Prohaska over a year ago, July of 2020. Had that tough uh, fight with Alexander Rakic in 2019, split decision. Hmm. Yeah, I, I favor on Kalaev here. I mean, I don't want to sell Uzdemir off as... I don't want to try and pass him off as some cab driver. He's very certainly not that. But he's shorter. Double check that. He stands... What? 6'1"? You're my height, buddy. Cut to middleweight. Uh, I can't. I don't know his body composition. Yeah, 6'1 versus 6'3". Clive is 75 inches of reach. The reach is theoretically identical. I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, I like Ankalaev here. Not trying to not trying to dismiss Uzdemir as a nobody, like I said, but Ankalaev's a guy I think will probably feature heavily into the title picture sooner rather than later. So that's your main card. Uh, pretty good card. Like I, I don't really see a weak fight in that bunch. Okay. Volkov and Tabora, heavyweights. But other than that, I mean, even the much maligned light heavyweight, even uh, Ankalaev and Uzdemir could be a very relevant fight in that division. If Ankalaev wins there, especially if he does so impressively, he might still need another win, but doing so in proximity to a title fight here uh, is a pretty big opportunity. See, it's for the prelims. Amanda Hivas against Vienna Jandiroba. Hmm. I think about this actually. Um, Jandiroba broke Kanako Murata's arm uh, when they fought uh, in that fight, which was earlier this year. Hivas, I think, is coming off of a loss. Yeah, Marina Rodriguez put a beating on her. I'm going to lean towards Hebos, but this is this is not an easy fight. Featherweight, Ricardo Hamos and Zubaira Tehugov. Um, Tehugov's had some setbacks. 
He needs this one in a pretty bad way. Uh, Hamos is not... Uh, he's only got two losses in the UFC. To Saeed Numagamadov and Lerone Murphy. Uh, he's... Okay, I kind of thought he lost the Kyung Ho Kong fight, but... Even if we added that... And he's still got a very solid winning record. I'm going to pick to Hugov, but... He needs to sort some stuff out. He's, he's had some issues his last few fights. Let's see, middleweight... Albert uh, Dwarev and Roman Kopilov. Go with Kopilov, I think. Light heavyweight. There's just so many of them on this card. Mikhail Oleksejuk and Shamil Gamzatov. Let's see. Gamzatov won his light heavyweight debut. Sorry, his UFC debut at light heavyweight. Um, I think I'm going to pick Oleksejuk here. You know, lean Oleksajic, yeah, but Gamzatov might surprise some people. Let's see, featherweight, Makwan Amir Khani, Mr. Finland, will fight Lerone Murphy, who I feel like I've mentioned already on this on this preview. Yes, I have. Um, Murphy's undefeated, has a, had a draw in his UFC debut when he fought Zubair Takugov, knocked out Ricardo Hamos, beat Douglas Silva de Andrade pretty cleanly. Amir Khani, by contrast, is on a two-fight losing streak. Just one and three in his last four. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Murphy here. Middleweight, Hu Hu Yao Zhang Hu or Hu Yao Hu Yao Zhang. I think it's Hu Yao Zhang and Andre Petrovsky. Um, Petrovsky's that big muscled-up guy that was on the season of tough that everyone wanted to be better than he is. Um, whereas who feels like they're trying to set up Petrovsky here a little bit. Yeah, lean Petrovsky, but I don't feel good about it. Lightweight, Demir Ismagulov and Magomed Mustafaev. This is a darn good fight, actually. Ismagulov is 20-1 overall on a 15-ish fight winning streak. 4-0 in the UFC. Not beating anyone of real note. And probably his best win thus far would be Thiago Moises. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, whereas Mustafaev... Uh, been out for a while. He fought Brad Riddell to a split decision loss in February of 2020. This is a guy I actually had some hope for. He, I mean, here's the crazy thing. He's debuted in the UFC in 2015. Fought twice in 15, once in 16, then didn't fight again until 2019. When he defeated Rafael, Rafael Faziv. I think he's Faziv's only loss in the UFC. Maybe ever. Yeah, ever. Um... I'm leaning towards Ismagulov here. I think Mustafaev's uh, lack of activity has been a problem. Uh, and I'm, I'm relatively high on Ismagulov as a general rule, so I'm, I'm picking him. And kicking everything off, I think kicking everything off. We have one announced bout that does not have a place on the bout. We'll get to that in a second. I imagine it will be above this one at some point, uh, somewhere. Uh, flyweight, Tagir Ulanbekov and Alan Nascimento. I seem to... Re I keep confusing 
Um, Tegir Ulenbekov with somebody else. So I confused somebody else with him. I can't remember. I want to double check who he... There's a few guys with uh, kind of similar names that fight flyweight bantamweight. Um, Ulenbekov is 12-1. and one. one win in the UFC. Um, okay. He's not quite the guy I was thinking of, but he's not the other guy I might have been thinking of who has a pretty terrible record in the UFC. Um, let's see. Nasciamento. I think this is his debut in the UFC. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick Ulenbekov here. And then somewhere on this card, we'll have a welterweight fight between Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos and Benoit Saint-Denis. I have no problem picking Elizzy Zaleski Dos Santos here. I think he was supposed to originally fight somebody else. Um, so I'm not sure about that. If this was always this fight, who did he piss off? Jeez. Uh, because he's getting uh, kind of a nobody here for no good reason, so. What it's saying to me, actually. He's 8 0, he's undefeated, won no contest thrown in there. Making his UFC debut. I just need to see if this fight. Um. Nope, the UFC is just a little bit pissed at him. I, this might have to do with him, his fight with Shavkat Rachmanov falling apart. Would have been a heck of a fight. So I, I have no problem picking Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos here. None whatsoever. Uh, and, and that is it. That is UFC 267. So Saturday morning, bright and early, I will have coverage. I hate these early cars, man. I am not a morning person at all. Not one iota. All right. But main card, great fight after great fight. I hope you will tune in. That will be in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania when you get the, if you're so inclined, please do stop by. I appreciate it. All right. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy has happened in the MMA or combat sports world while we've been doing this. And if not, we will get into plugs and get out of here. Alright, does not look like there's anything there, so let's get into plugs and get out of here. Uh, I agreed to cover WWE Monday Night Raw on this coming Monday because normal coverage guy couldn't make it. So God help me, I will sit through three hours of Raw. Yeah. Uh, after that I will cover AEW's Dark Elevation. Tuesday, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for uh, Dennis Villanueva's Dune, the first part of, I assume, a two-movie sequence dealing with uh, Frank Herbert's epic sci-fi novel. So Mark and I will talk about that. I think there will be some other people there. I forget who, so my apologies. I'm spacing at the moment. But Dune will get the Damn You Hollywood treatment on Tuesday, so if you're interested in my takes on movies... Follow along over there on the W2M network. I think I had something else this week. Hang on. Bunch of re-airs that I tend not to plug here for a variety of reasons. No, just Dune. Next week, however, boy, 
So, starting the 1st of November, and there's a Damn You Hollywood on Monday, there's Damn You Hollywood on Tuesday, there's going to be a triple feature that Friday. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. And apparently I'm... Oh, when, it, when did What If get moved to? Because I got stuck hosting that. Ugh. Yeah, November's going to be busy. November's going to be real busy. So that, uh, whatever MLW releases on Wednesday, and then Smackdown on Friday. So, uh, yeah, that's what I've got this week. And UFC 267 on Saturday. Come back here next week, please. We will review UFC 267. And preview UFC 268, another two-fight card, two-title fight card, not two fights, two title fight cards. Uh, Kamar Usman and Colby Covington, too, for the welterweight title. The strawweight title will be on the line in an immediate rematch between new champion Rose Namajunas and Zhang Weili. Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler are going to try to kill each other. We're going to preview the whole thing. It's going to be great. Please come back and listen to the full preview uh, to get my thoughts on that one. So, with that out of the way, thank you all very, very much. I appreciate you. I will see you next week. Until then, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.